Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. It's currently about 10 p.m. on Sunday, August. What do we got here? August 21st. We are five days out from the Zuvi, so five days from this time of recording. We will be at the home in the Hollywood Hills having a good time. And I'm just editing a podcast right now that I ran this past week with Sean Mula. Great dude from Massachusetts, hustling. He's an A&R at Cinematic. He's also the manager for a couple artists, including Ola Runt, Young and East, Bankroll Got It, Prentice, a bunch of rappers. Anyway, I'm really impressed by Sean. Super smart guy. Um, you know, anyone who comes out here from Massachusetts and starts making waves, I got a lot of love for. And I think he's going to be around in this game for a long time. He's a smart kid, man. Really smart kid. And he's a grinder. It's just, you know, in the entertainment world, you meet all these people. And all you think of is the true winners are the celebrities and the stars. But, I mean, the people who are part of these people's teams and the people at music labels and movie studios are all so fucking driven. It takes so much work to actually make a stand in the entertainment industry. And so it's just nice being around these type of people. Um, And Sean talked a lot. He talked about his come up, being in the music industry, and I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. Now, just a quick document. We're five days out from the Zuvi. When you guys hear this, we'll probably be like two or three days out. And I feel good, man. Just figuring out the next event, the next step. What do I have to do next? That's what I'm figuring out. Anyway, enjoy it. Sean Mueller, all of Brethren. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Boom, we are so caught in the simulation, it makes me sick to my stomach. Luckily, I have a six-pack, so I can fight off sickness easily. Now, this episode is like a triple redemption episode. I'm going to tell everyone why after we address who else is in the room. First off, who is engineering the episode? Alex, I'll see you at the motherfucking Zuby, brother. Who else is here? All the way from Everett, Massachusetts. The Riot Shield, right? You got two names. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, man. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the snake pit. I'll keep you safe here, but only for so long. Now on my right, camera left. So in the history of this podcast, there's been about, I would say, eight to nine episodes that have not aired. The most notable one was actually with a huge Boston artist that showed up high as hell on Percocet. And then his label hit me up. This is early days. Label hit me up and said, yo, there's no way we can air that. And I was like, bet, because it was a terrible interview. (laughs) But I do have that on a hard drive somewhere. If you want to ask me about who it was after, I'll tell you. But our guest and myself ran this episode in a different studio about two weeks ago. Then last week, there was a miscommunication and we didn't run it. So this is our third attempt. So it's not really as much of an interview as it was the first time, but it's more like, yo, what's up, my boy? You know what I'm saying? 
We made it happen, man. We're here. So on my right, camera left, is Sean Mula. What's going on, bro? Welcome back, brethren. Thank you, man. The studio's better. This is like, this was meant to be. This is Snake Pit vibes. And after the first interview, I was like, man, there's a few things that I left out that like, I wish I had told you about or said in the interview. So I'm happy, man. This is going to be fire. Okay, sweet. Now, before we move on, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? I already know, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I work in the music industry. I manage talent, artists, producers um, under my own company, Mueller Group. And then I also do A&R at Johnny Shipes' label, Cinematic Music Group. And yeah, that's it, man. I just, I just make plays and make incredible music. But where are you from? I'm from, well, out here, I'd, I'd say Same Boston, you know what I mean? But no, I'm from Westwood, Massachusetts. Why, well, Trevor? Are you familiar with Westwood? First thoughts on Westwood when it comes to mine? Nothing sticks out? There's one big-ass company from Westwood. They have a big factory there. Who is it? Oh, 47 Brand makes all their hats there, right? I didn't know that. You know those baseball hats, the 47? No, hats? yeah, I know what you're talking about. Am I right on that or am I cooked? Okay. Um, anyway, well, yeah, so, dude, after the last interview, you kept saying the name Johnny Shipes. Yeah. Like it was, like, this huge, like, monumental name in your life, and you kept bringing it up. And then I had no idea who it was, but then I've been seeing, like, that dude's name everywhere. Yeah. So. Johnny Shipes is a legend. So you work at his label. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Johnny Shipes found Nipsey Hussle, Joey Badass, Sean Kingston, um, Flip De Niro, Youngie Nace. Uh, I'm probably leaving some out. He manages Drewski, um, founded the Smokers Club, founded Cinematic Music Group. Just he's just he's just a legend and, and the first person in the industry to like appreciate my ear and give me a shot. So now, how did you link up with him in the first place? Um, I was in Brooklyn at the time, and um, I was at a sports bar called Carmine's watching the Celtics game. And I see Static Selecta. Boston legend. Boston legendary producer. And I see someone else with a cinematic records jacket. And he goes outside. And this has always been my attitude. I'm like, I'm going to, I got a network. So I go outside. I introduce myself. I'm like, yo, Cinematic is my favorite label. Like I knew them from having like Smoke Dizza and Joey Badass and all of pro era. And he was like, and this was, this happened to be cousin Todd, rest in peace. This was Johnny's cousin um, who, who was just like a legend also in his own right. And uh, he just, he just plugged me in from there. I was like, yo, I'm, I'm, I am interning at Republic Records, but like cinematic is so fire. Like, you know, I'd love to intern for y'all. And that's, he made the intro for me and basically put me into that, you know, that system. And then from there, I climbed my way to become an A&R. Now, this is the second time you've told me you've like hustled like this. What was the first story last time? Like you showed up outside the guy's Corvette and you were like, that was out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go. I got to go further back before yeah, I okay, tell yeah. that. Why don't we start? Let's do what we did last time and start all the way back. So you were making music in Boston when you started. Yeah. You were making your own music yep. at Northeastern. Why don't we start there? Even before I was making music in middle school. I was rapping. Garage band? 
producing, not had Logic Pro. Damn, so you were ahead of the game. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I need that next level. Um, but I was I was doing shows at the Middle East, opening up for like local people and not local. But yeah, bro, I was just I just love music. And then um, the first like gig I had, I was in college. Did my freshman year of college, and I was like, I'm gonna go to LA to try to network and you know find my way into the industry. And so I road trip Boston to LA. Um, Did you take I-80? I don't know what I took. We took a fun ass route. Really? I've driven from Boston to LA three times. Okay. So have you done like the Iowa Nebraska route? Or no, that's just... like the northern route. That's like the only route I haven't done. That's what I did when I got. I there. went middle of the country and then took the southern route. Cool. Um, but I was staying at one of my homies in college's like guest room in Santa Monica, and I got a gig running social media for a independent film company that was doing like a documentary on the Eric um lacrosse. So just like any anything I could to be entertainment, right? And uh, go out, try to network. And one night I was going to the W hotel rooftop, like whatever, to just party, right? And I told one of my boys, I was like, yo, if you see me talking to any girls, I need you to come up to me and ask, like, like act like I'm a big deal. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so night's going on. I start talking with the DJ because I want to get him to play my record. And my friend sees me. And he comes over, he's like, yo, are you Sean Mueller? No way, bro, I have to take a picture with you and hands his phone to the DJ. And the DJ's like, who the fuck is this guy? And um, so he, he takes the picture and he's like, yo, Genius. do you wanna, like, you wanna like chill at my table? Like, I got bottles, I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I'm chilling. And this, this person happened to be the DJ TJ, who I still work with to this day. Has his own shop in downtown called Sold Out Society, fire thrift shop, um, makes his own clothes. But anyways, I'm with the DJ TJ, DJ TJ, and um, I end up setting up a meeting with him because I'm like, okay, I just met someone. Let's set up a meeting. And I set up a lunch meeting with him in Hollywood probably a few weeks later. And he's running late to the meeting. I'm just chilling at my meter and I'm on the phone with someone and I see this like fire Mercedes park in front of me and after he leaves his car, it kind of processes with me because I was like, he looks familiar. And I see the license plate, it says Schematic. And I'm like, yo, DJ Ski just parked in front of me. I gotta, I gotta call you back. So I'm like, okay, I look at his meter. He probably has like 45 minutes on there. I'm like, okay, I can wait 45 minutes. So I'm waiting for DJ Ski to come back. And I knew DJ Ski from hosting like um, Nipsey Hustle and the game mixtapes. Like, so I waited for him to come back probably an hour, maybe hour and a half. He gets back to his car. I just tell him like, yo, I, I make music. Can I send you my music? I'd also intern like, um, you know, whatever I can do. And then he gives me an internship at his company, Dash Radio, which happens to be the building that's across the street from where we're at right now with really? the big Nipsey mural. Oh, really? Um, and so I ended up interning there for free for about eight months, I was working at Fat Sal's to try to live out here while I was interning for free. And um, eventually, because I was interned there for so long, they gave me a chance to do a pilot. And I started my own radio show there called um, 
First, it was called the kickback. Then we called it hella clout. And the DJ TJ that I met at the W, he, I was like, yo, come be a host with me on this, on this show. And so we were interviewing like upcoming rappers, skateboarders, porn stars, like whatever, just like kind of like no jumper type style interviews, but we were just doing our thing. And it was like a great way for me to continue to network and, you know, build my network. So I was just doing everything, man. Me and TJ then started doing music videos. We did um, like the very early music videos for Young Gravy. I was producing the videos. He was directing them. Um, what year is this? This was, I was probably a, like a sophomore, maybe a third year in college. So 2017, yeah, around 2017. Dude, Young Gravy's been doing stuff forever. Yeah, this was early Young Gravy. So I like, I set up Young Gravy's first interview ever. He, he didn't even show what his face looked like. Um, yeah, like nobody nobody knew what he looked like. Um, but he had this like cult fan base from SoundCloud. Really? Yeah. And I think I did his first interview ever where he did show his face. It's on YouTube. Really? Yeah. You interviewed him? I interviewed him. Me and TJ. Okay. Him and Baby No Money. Let me ask you a question. When you're running your show... Back then, what skills have you taken from running an interview show with you today? Do you think it made you a better conversationalist? Yeah, I'm sure. You gotta like. It's also different than bro. I, like I sometimes I'm out. I catch myself interviewing people. They're like, "Yo, relax, bro." You know what, what you saying? mean? Oh, just like out. out we'll be at dinner. I'm like, "Yo, so tell me about your parents." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you just have to fill the dead space, and you have to learn not to talk over people. That's probably the most important shit. But I don't think like I. Um, I'm not like, uh, it wasn't like my niche. You know what I mean? I was just doing anything I could to work in music. Mm -hmm. That was not like my thing. When I eventually after that, I got an internship um, working at Republic Records, not working, interning at Republic Records in the A&R department. And that's when it like clicked for me, like, this is what I love. Like, I have to become an A&R. And they say an A&R is the hardest job to get, easiest job to lose because there's so many factors that play into like an artist's success that are beyond your control. So if you don't find something that like that moves or that gets hot, it's like, see you later. Nice try. I think similar. The term film producer is like almost synonymous with A&R. It can mean so many different things. Can you kind of just explain what that means and exactly what you do? So... I'll just kind of describe the A&R process. Can you also grab the mic and just move it? Just like, yeah. Closer? Is this better? I see your face. There you go. Oh, oh okay, cool. Um, I'll just describe like the A&R process. So like first, you're a scout and you're trying to find talent, right? Then you find an artist that you love and you try to sign them. Offer them a deal, put the deal together. Um, sometimes there's different labels that are also courting the artist. So you have to, you know, get them to go with you. Once the deal's done, you have an artist signed, you A&R their projects. A&R stands for artist and repertoire. So now you're helping them put together their music. So putting them in the studio with songwriters, producers, finding the mixing engineer, the mastering engineer, basically bringing the album to the complete project clear all the beats, clear all the side artists, the features until it's ready to be delivered to the team to then go and market. 
And then I'm also still, even after the music is finished, I'm helping like pick out release dates, giving my little input on the cover art and music videos. And you still see it all the way through the other process, but you also got to kind of let the other members of the team like, okay, you, you can source video treatments and you can figure out his PR and whatever, but it's really focused on the music, like really putting together projects and completing them. So that's what I and ours. Now, how did you develop this skill set? I think like, cause bro, that's kind of seems like one of the jobs you like, the only way to really learn it is if you get a job doing it. I'm sure as a manager, you kind of understood in some of your experience as an artist, but no, I think it's because I was making music. So I knew about booking studio sessions. I knew about the recording process. I made beats. I could tell you like, okay, yeah, this 808 needs to be a little louder or um, this vocal sounds distorted. We need to clean it up or we need it to sound brighter. I knew all these terms because I was making music all since middle school. So that shit really prepared me for like the musical process. And I don't think... I guess other people just have to kind of learn it as they go. But I was I was pretty surprised when I, I I'll never forget I was in a marketing meeting. I was working at in digital marketing um, because I took any job I could. When I first got to Cinematic, I took a job doing digital marketing because I was like I got out of college. I was like I need to work in the music industry, and that's the job I could get. So I was a digital marketer, and I remember one of the A and Rs asked, "What is a two track?" And I was like, wait, you're an A&R? You don't know what a two-track is? A two-track is when you um, record over the beat and you don't have all the separate files. So you don't have like the drums and the melody and the bass all separated. You're just recording over the beat file. Got it. But I, I always knew- No stems. All, no stems, correct. But I just knew all those terms and like, I, and it's, it's not crazy to me anymore, but you know, it's like, you have to learn those things. So some people learn as they go, but definitely making music, like for sure helped me with all that. Now, when you're running the radio show across the street here. Yeah. And you're at Fat Sal's. Yeah. What are you flipping for sandwiches back then, man? Like, what were you known for in that fat sales? I wasn't making sandwiches. Oh shit! I was I was on the I was on the register. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, Mr. Moneybags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's um, touching that green. But bro, Fat Sal's plays all hip hop music. Really? It's all rap music. That's why I wanted to work there, and I got a free Fat Sal sandwich every every time I worked a shift. And Fat Sal sandwich is like a. You get like a steak and cheese with French fries, mozzarella sticks, and chicken fingers all on it. It's crazy. Dude, love food, man. Dude, I, but I love that type of shit. And I try not to eat it anymore, but like. What did you have when we got the, in West Hollywood? You had something elaborate. When? Some, some breakfast burrito. When I first met you. Oh, yeah. We went to Dialogue. That was just a breakfast burrito. <laughs> Nothing crazy, but it has spicy ketchup, so it's, it's fire. How much bread do you think you spend on food a month? Month? <clears throat> three grand oh no way yeah dead ass how many how many times do you yeah. go out to eat to dinner a week once or twice okay like a like a like fine dining okay and i'll spend like well uber eats money though too right yeah i'm trying to do better well okay 
my kitchen is under construction right now. So I, I used to love, I still do, I love cooking. But I can't really cook as much because I don't have a kitchen. All I have is a grill. So I, I love grilling too. I'll throw some sausages and burgers or grilled chicken or whatever. But yeah, I'm spending a lot more money without a kitchen. So that's probably why it's so high. Like, Now, was your lifestyle like this before you started making the bag? Like, Hell no. When did you start like spending money more like liberally? Um, when I made my first hundred grand and I was like, what the fuck? Like my first, my first job in the music industry, I was making 35 grand a year. And I had to do like marketing campaigns and shit on the side to like, cause I was living in New York. You can't live in New York for 35 grand a year. So I was still like, I was managing bankroll, got it. I was doing marketing campaigns on the side to still like try to live. So I was probably making a little bit more than that. I wasn't making a lot. And then yeah, bankroll got it, did their publishing deal with Sony, which was like an amazing moment for me. I made But my you pushed that through. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was the most money I'd ever seen in my life. Like I had never seen six digits before. And I was like, this is crazy. And I just balled out, bro. This was right during COVID. I was like, I'm going to Miami, like <laughs> boats, like chicks, like just tables, strip clubs, like balling out, bro. You just wanted to live that life. Bro, I've, I lived the life that like rappers rap about. Like I, like, I love going to the strip club. I love eating like fine dining. Um, you know why I love the strip club? It's like, it's not like the girls are a plus, but when I'm at the club, I just want to sit down, drink my drink and hear rap music. I want to hear like the, like the real shit. You know what I mean? I don't want to hear like, I don't like, like with, like, I don't want to hear a T-Pain. I don't want to hear like, I shouldn't even say T-Pain because T-Pain's amazing. But like, I don't want to hear like early 2000s fucking hits is what I mean. I want to hear new, like what's, what's playing in the hood right now? Like what's, what's really moving in my city? I want to hear like the real, like relevant rap music. So that's why I love the strip club. And then the girls is a plus. And your girl's cool with that? Yeah, my girl doesn't mind if I go to strip club. I've gone to strip club with my girl a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you go around here? What's the clubs? Probably Crazy Girls. I've heard that in the song. Yeah. What song is that? Some mad songs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a... It's, it's, it's popular. A, it's a popular spot. Is that in Hollywood? Yep. Okay. It's a... It's like I'm out west at Crazy Girls, something at 1 a.m. Cashing out the ATM. Some shit like that. Was something that Lil like Wayne? That. I don't remember. Whatever. But it's in a lot of songs. It's like it's like the spot it's out here. It's the go-to. Yeah. You ever been to a Massachusetts strip club? Yeah, like once. Don't recommend. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't I would never do it again. <laughs> well, I try. What about you? You in a strip club in Massachusetts? In Providence, right? Oh yeah. They're popular in Providence. Yeah. The Foxy Lady. Yeah. Uh, that's where you made your girlfriend, right? Oh, my bad, bro. My bad. <laughs> so um, you're hustling at Fat Sal's. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, you inked that 100K deal. No, no, no. That's further down the line. 
Okay. But at that point, we talked about this last time. What, and the deal was more than 100K. That's what I made. I know. You cash in the 100K. Right. We talked about this last time. What does that do, like, confidence-wise for you? Because you're 24 at the time, right? Yeah. I think, like, that was the moment because, first off, when I went to college to study music business, everybody was like, there's no money in music. Everybody was stealing music at the time. Like Napster was big. Like Spotify was not really a thing yet. You know, they hadn't figured out the whole streaming platform. So I always went into music thinking I wasn't going to make any money, but I'm going to just do what I love. And luckily I had like a mother that and father that really supported like go and do what you love to do. So when I finally got like a bag, it was like, this is fire, bro. Like now, I, now it like opens, it opens your eyes to like, I can really make some serious money and make some serious moves in this industry. And for years, like even as, as an, I, I was managing artists all through college. Like I was always trying to get the person, the people that I was managing a record deal or a publishing deal and to finally get a publishing deal, like finally sign with, with, with Sony which is the number one publishing company in the world, the biggest. It was like, I'm here. I fucking did it. And in my ego, yeah, it definitely was like, it's like reassurance that this can, this can really happen. Like, you know, it just, it opens, it opens your eyes to the possibilities of like what you can really achieve. Cause you sometimes like you have to do it before you can, you know, believe. Now, how long between that hundred thousand dollar deal and your next deal, how long was the gap? Like your, your next major deal. Two years. But you were making little deals along the way or you just made the 100K no, I, still, I was still making money. I still had, um, I still got commissions from selling beats um, from all my clients. And I still have a salary at Cinematic. Uh, so I'm still making money. I'm not like strictly commission. But the commissions are like... Uh, that's like the bag, you know? Yeah. Like closing a big deal is the bag. Yeah. So yeah, it was probably, I think, yeah. Then I got like another big ass commission like that. It was probably like two years. But what did that initial deal do for your career? Like did people start respecting, like respecting you as a, a successful manager at that point? Like, I think so. Um, but there, there's more than that. A lot of getting people's respect in this industry, I think, is just building your network. And when you speak about me with like other people in the music industry, I think most people in that room, if not everyone in that room, knows who I am. And that's when you're respected. When everybody knows like, oh yeah, Sean, he does this, this and that, and he has this client and yada, yada. That's that's when you're respect. It's not it's not about closing the deals per se because not everybody knows like what deals I've closed and how much money I've made. They might see the dinners that I go, but I know that no bullying cheap, brother. Yeah, but no, nah, no. Nah, I really think it's about um, just building your network and having a good reputation when your name is spoken on. See, you seem like you have levity. And you're calm. I'm total opposite. 
and a lot of people are always like, yo, Irish Hercules, you got to play the long game here, brother. It's a long life. I have a really hard time doing that. Mm -hmm. Are you like long-term minded or are you like, we got to attack on a daily basis? Uh, well, if you have long-term goals, you have to attack on a daily basis. You have to put at work every day. Like every day I'm like, okay, what else can I do? Like, even if I nail everything on my to-do list, because yeah, I, I think my goals are so much more long-term now. Really? It's just like, it's about uh, just bettering my lifestyle and getting to where I want to be, really. At the simplest thing, but I have tons of like goals. What's your like your six month goal right now? Um, is it purely financial? Within six months, yeah, it's it's pretty financial. I want to. Where does six months bring us? Twenty twenty three February. Okay, by like. By like March of next year, I want to buy like an incredible property in LA. That's one of like my main goals right now. I really want to get a house. I, I go on Zillow a few times a week. I'm going to open houses. I'm figuring out how much money I have to pay in taxes this year to qualify for a higher mortgage. Um, that's one of like my biggest goals. In the end, like how much money do I need to make to put down? How much more money do I need to make if I want to get to a higher price range? Yeah, you have a a different mindset than I do, and I like I I think that having purely financial goals is incredibly beneficial for dudes our age because mm -hmm. they're so clear. It's like all I got to do is go make three hundred k this year. What do I have to do to go do that? Yeah, I'm sure that serves you on a daily basis if like you're purely money minded. Yeah, because now I'm like I'm just looking at other ways. Because you can, you can say, I want to make half a million or I want to make a million dollars this year. But then you have to think about, okay, well, how much money can I make doing this? And then if I'm not, if I'm only going to make 300K, how can I make an additional 200K in another avenue? So now um, I think I'm going to get my real estate license as like a side hustle because I just want to make like an extra 100, 150 a year. And because I just said 100, 150, that's the most I'll make. You have to like open your mind to what you could possibly make. Because if, if in your mind you're like, I really want to make 300K, you're not going to make more than 300K. See, I think it, this is an important conversation for Boston artists and people from Boston specifically, because I never had financial goals like this until I got out here. And your appetite changes once you start being around it. Do you agree? Yeah. Because... You just see five to $20 million houses everywhere. You look up at the hills and all those houses are at least two and a half million. And in back home, if you can buy like a million dollar house, that's fire. But that doesn't get you shit out here. So when you come out here and you see all this money and you go to places and you just see like, I don't even know, bro. You just see so much. Like, how much does that car cost? And you try to do it in your head. Like, okay, how much money would I need to make to get that and the house I want? But also, I don't know. Like, it's, this is all very materialistic, which, like, 
But I think they're good goals to have. Yeah. They're clear and it gives people a reason to drive. And you have to excel in your career to get there. Mm-hmm. So, so like the system works, bro. Capitalism, capitalism works. Yeah. Like truthfully, but I mean, why try? I think this is a good lesson. Like I, before I got out here, bro, like never had money goals. And then you start being around people and you're like, yo, I got it. Like I can bench way more than this dude, bro. <laughs> I can do fit. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you're like, yo, I, I've been working harder than these people forever. Then you get out here and you're like, yo, like this shit is really possible. You felt that when you came out here, right? Oh, definitely. More so out here than New York. Well, I think that was one of the the moments, like when you were asking me earlier, like what did closing a big deal do for me? That was a moment where it was like, that shit is possible. Mm-hmm. Like if I can make that much money. But another thing that really inspires me, bro, is I really like interior design and like art and shit. So I'm like constantly looking at, at furniture and different styles of houses and interior designs and just like trying to like see how I can achieve like my dream house but my dream house is really like um it's like artistic like I really want to have like there's art I love different artists and I want to have like art on the walls and I want to have like a certain style of furniture and um I'm like yeah I want to have a kitchen with uh, black cabinets and black countertops and then have these color wood floors. How much does it cost to redo the floors in a house? And um, I want to have like, what do I want my my yard to look like? That shit is what like is really inspiring me right now is I want to have my dream house like architecturally. So you visualize what your dream house looks like? Yeah, but I'm like really visualizing it too because I'm looking at houses on Zillow and I'm like, okay, what could I do with this? And then I'm going on Pinterest and I'm like mid-century modern living room and I'm taking screenshots. I'm like, I like this and that. And that's, just, that's just me personally. That's kind of like one of the things too that's like, it's not about I need to, if so-and-so can get this, I need to get that. It's like, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is, Yeah. What are your thoughts on manifestation? Um, 100% real. Manifestation is like, do you know what, do you know what metaphysic, metaphysics is? I've dabbled. So metaphysics means uh, beyond physics. And it's basically the concept that explains like prayer, affirmations, manifest, manifestation. It's like if you put those we're a part of the universe. And if you put those thoughts into the universe, um, the universe is going to react to your thoughts or the energy that you're putting into the universe. So like, if you, if you believe in God, um, which I do, and you are praying, it's the same exact concept. You're like putting that energy out there to then receive energy back. But it's reinforced when you have a plan and it's more visual and it's more descriptive. Like just saying, I want to make however much money. It's not very descriptive. It's like the first step, but like, what are the steps you're going to take? 
What are your estimates? What are your, you know, diff- just you details. reverse engineer it. Yeah. So how much do you want to make? Um, over half a million a year. year. Um, I think I already know how much I'm going to make this year, but next year I want to make over half a million. Well, we're on an episode in a year, man. I'm going to check your bank account. Let's do it. I hope it doesn't all go to Nobu, brother. But I really want to have that house next year. So hopefully that's what I have next time we talk. So hopefully you're broke next time we talk. Yeah. You spent it on the house. Now, where are you looking in the hills? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, Is your boy still out here, by the way? Yeah. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just saw a house that was fire in Echo Park that I was like, I want that. I'm going, I'm going to the open house tomorrow. Oh, bro. No, what you have to go to? I went there with my shorty the other day. Some fried chicken place in Echo Park. Have you heard of it? No. Kai's Kitchen? Oh, well, we'll figure it out afterwards. You'd be all over it. Is it though. Korean fried chicken? No. It's just it, the only thing they serve is one type of beer and fried chicken. So like very LA. Okay. But you would love it. Yeah. No, I got to try it. <laughs> I love new restaurants, bro. Really? I love new restaurants. What, what's your go-to out here? Um, Bro, I'm always trying to go to new spots, but... uh. I I really love Republic. That's what you're just saying, yeah. Um, you don't have to just go there for like a fine dining dinner. You can, and it's like incredible. But you could also, it's also just a cafe during the day and you can pull up and with your laptop or whatever and just have like a fire little brunch, uh, breakfast. And it's just unbelievable. Like it, it's, it's definitely my favorite restaurant in LA. Other than that, um, I could name a bunch of spots. But, let me, but I also know all the spots for like s- subs and pizza. What's that place in Santa Monica that you were trying to go to over there? Bay Cities. Oh, yeah, Bay Cities. That shit's crack. I've had that before. You get the godmother with the works at Bay Cities, and it's like the best Italian sub you can get. And when I lived in Brooklyn, I tried to find a better sub. Really? Can't do it, man. It's the best. Bro, have you ever heard of this place? Um, watch, you might have heard of it. Master Walk? Yeah. Yeah, you know Master Walk. Okay. That's, yes, it's five star. <laughs> it's in like every food court in America, bro. <laughs> I'm making a joke, dude. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course you've been there. You were, you were there yesterday, probably. What'd you have before this? Subway. Subway? Yeah. Now, what's better? Subway or Fat Sales? Fat Sales, for sure. Subway is gas, though, bro. It is good. It'll do the job, but it's like, if you're going to go and get a sub, just go to Bay Cities or go to Giada's. You like Giada's? You been there? All right, Giada's. With- this is his first time in L.A. Giada's with two G's, and you're going to get a, the spicy pea. It's a spicy chicken parm. You like chicken parm? I mean, they also have, like, a great Italian sub, but, like, get the spicy the spicy pea, and, and you'll never go back to Subway, bro. You're going to be like, now nah, we got to go to Giada's. I can tell you the pizza spots out here, too. All right, we get it. You like food, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, you eat before this? 
Nothing. Oh shit! You're really an alpha. I wanted to. <laughs> I want to be here on time. Oh, you you to starve yourself. And I was like, you're fasting. I was like, should I go to Starbucks? I was like, nah, I gotta be on time. Oh, you you get the breakfast at Starbucks. Yeah, I get a. Uh, uh, <laughs> Holy shit! Turkey bacon, uh, oh, the turkey bacon uh, egg white sandwich with the you gotta get the sriracha with it. You get a little frappuccino over there too. No, no, no. I don't no. drink coffee. You don't. I drink these, bro. Yeah, I shouldn't actually. I'm not even gonna shout them out because I reached out for a sponsorship and they didn't give it to me. So like, blur that out if that was in the video. But I love. You're still thing. drinking their product, bro. Yeah. No, I actually buy cases on Amazon. Do you? Yeah, because they wouldn't sponsor me. My energy drink sponsor is Noco. Shout out to those guys. Shout out to thank Noco. You, thank you for sponsoring the Zuvi. It's actually an interesting company, interesting business model. They found out that most of the chemical ingredients in their energy drink can also be used in a protein bar. The, just the purely chemical ingredients. Mm -hmm. So they make both an energy drink and a protein bar. And they're separate brands. There's Noco and Bear Are Bells. they Boston-based? They're not. Oh. They're in Santa Monica. Okay. Fire. I got one in the car. We can all is it, um, communally sip it after this. Is it coffee? Pause. What? Is it like coffee? Um, no, it's like it's like a clean Red Bull. Okay. Nice. I need a new uh, caffeinated tea that's going to sponsor me so I don't have to drink you're, this anymore. You're looking at the wrong guy. No, I'm not. You're the sponsorship king, man. But I'm the coffee king. Not oh yeah, the, not the tea prince. Bro, you can you can dip one. You don't even drink, and you just got like fucking five alcohol sponsors. Don't tell them that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> some of them haven't signed the contract yet. <laughs> like, yeah, I love your product. Let me get some of that, man. Yeah, shout out Patron. Shout out to Patron for sure. Um, okay, so you come out here, things are good. Now, anyone who's a young manager in the game or trying to do what you do, how did you initially get in contact with? Bankroll got it to go sign him. Um, I was in college and one of my friends was off doing an internship in San Francisco and he met. So Bankroll got it is two brothers. There used to be a third brother who's younger than both of them, who was who's no longer active in the production group, but he was at the time and he started talking with my friend and my friend sent me his beats and I listen to everything that people sent me. Like most is not good. Um, and I can't believe people sent it to me, but I still listen to everything that people send. So I listened, I was like, this is fire. I had just finished my internship at Republic records. So I got on a call with them. I was like, yo, I want to, I want to manage you guys. Um, I, I know A&Rs at Republic. I do a radio ship, a radio show with up and coming artists. Like I can get your beats out. And they were like, sure. Like we'll do a, a non-exclusive agreement with you and you can take a percentage on the things that you place. And I was like, bet like that's fire. And, um, I was setting up little sessions with up and coming artists and just like really hustling, like anything I could do to get them in the studio or get their beats out. And, why did you believe in them initially? I just liked their beats and it was an opportunity. And um, I ended up, I had a friend. It's always friends, you know what I mean? So I had another friend 
that had a job at Alamo Records. And I pulled up on him. He let me in the building. I ended up meeting Micah, who was Lil Goddard's A&R at the time. And I got him beats. And from that, I placed uh, The Real Hood Babies by Lil Goddard, which was like a super hot record in Atlanta, playing at Magic City all the time. Like, it was just, it was just like a really hot underground rap record. And that allowed Bankroll to then be at that level where they could DM like Sway Lee and be like, yo, we made the real hood babies. Like, I want to send you beats. And he'd like send his email back. Or like just had artists reaching out because um, it was such a unique beat. And from there, I told Bankroll, I was like, I want to manage you exclusively. I want to, I want to be your manager. Like, look at all the opportunities that I'm now bringing. Like, you know, they'll, t they'll say to this day, I was the only person, like they had probably 10 different people with that non-exclusive management contract out shopping their beats. And I was the only person that was like making plays and busting my ass. And so they, they gave it to me. They're like, yeah, like be our manager. And, um, that I started the non-exclusive shit when I was probably a junior in college. I still manage them to this day. Um, and they're like, it's a blessing to work with them, bro. Like they are the best producers in the world. Like, and their biggest records are yet to come. So yeah, that shit is incredible. Now, how much of their success do you attribute to yourself? And you can be somewhat selfish in this. Like, I think sometimes managers don't take enough credit. Um, I feel like a... I know, I know you don't want to sound like, yo, like I made these dudes. I know you don't want to sound like that. But like in terms of career progression, how much does a manager actually do? The thing is, when I, because I, I, I don't want to throw out like a percentage because that would be weird. But in every play that's made, I feel like for the, usually I'm intertwined in some way. Even if I don't directly set up the session, I probably introduce bankroll to someone that introduced them to someone that set it up. Or like I can find my work somewhere in the play. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or if I don't, I'm now negotiating it. I'm negotiating the deal. I have to keep the relationship strong with that person. Maybe they met the artist and now I'm connecting with the manager and keeping that relationship strong. So it's like, it's so, um, I have such a good workflow with them where I can trust them and they can trust me and we can like bounce, bounce off each other. Like, Hey, you're going to, you're going to text these beats to this artist and I'm going to send these beats to this A&R and this manager. It's like so collaborative in everything we do, but um, I can't take credit for their talent. Like bankrolls, the, the two of them, Joel and Taylor, their ear is so, incredible like i'll be in the studio when they're making a beat and the thing that they start with sometimes a few times in my head and i don't say anything anymore but i'm like that's the melody that they're going to start this beat with and they warp it into something i could never imagine and it's the hardest shit ever and the way that they approach music they approach beats with a concept so they'll be like yo I want to I want to take a classical melody, something that sounds like Beethoven, 
and turn that into a trap strip club beat up tempo. And it's like, they always have like a concept before they make beats. And it's like, they'll tell me that's like one of the most important parts is like coming up with the idea. They don't just go in there and just bullshit. So I can't take credit for the talent, man. Their talent and their creativity is unmatched. But I fucking hustled my ass off mm-hmm. and have made tons of plays. Um, but no, couldn't do it without them. Music has to be good first. Like, could you have a, or I could be wrong. Could you have like just a terrible ass artist that you could actually make some stuff happen with? Or does the music have to be good? Could I do it? Yeah, probably. So you think you could blow like a horrible artist up? If I see something there. Like game's fucked up. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, like everyone collectively agrees in this room. This dude makes awful music. You can go make them somewhat successful. It depends, bro. There just has to be something there. Something marketable. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to say like Riff Raff, right? Does Riff Raff make good music? He has one incredible song. He has, he has some good records. And but freestyles. Free, freestyles are amazing. Riff you ever Raff, heard the cocaine cypher? Yeah. It's like, Riff Raff, you ain't got no kids. Bro, he ain't cuss my gear with Chief Keef. Terrible example. Let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but just say you have someone. Say Riff, Riff Raff. Let's made. say Irish Hercules is an artist. Because you, you heard my reference, remember? Yeah, that shit was awful. Bro. That shit was amazing, bro. No, all right. Wait, wait, wait. I, I got to use Riff Raff as an example, okay? Because Riff Raff's image and personality is unmatched. Like, he's a fucking star. So sometimes, like, if, if, if someone's like an like a absolute star, but their music is terrible, I can work with that all day. Like, star power. I actually think star power is harder to come across then good music good music for sure i hear good music all the time but i'm like like okay then be a songwriter what makes you an artist what what gives someone that star power oh i don't i don't know it's, can you give me a little <laughs> you're you're born with it bro you think so yeah you don't think you can cultivate it some people develop into stars once they're um they start seeing more success and they get their confidence there but like that eccentric personality, nah, you can't, you can't teach that. And it's also just, it's hard to gauge what the market would want in terms of personality too. I'll tell you though, I told you this story about Doja Cat, right? No. Bro, I'm at, and after I throw my show at the Middle East, and you know, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but I sold out the downstairs just so everyone knows. <laughs> Nah, just, I know, yeah, I sold it out myself, you know, going into every hood, sold 500 tickets, 700 tickets, whatever the fuck, you know, just so everyone knows, just so everyone knows. Anyway, um, I was hanging around the Middle East at the Sonia, you know, the upstairs venue? Yeah. And bro, like, I'm hearing all these, like, this is like two months after my show, I go into the Sonia and there might be 60 girls there, and I look on the stage, I have no idea who's performing, but these fans are rabid. Mm Mm-hmm. They're all wearing cow costumes and weird shit. And I'm like, who is this? Tiny little tour bus outside. I, th- I must ask the security guard. Because well, I try to work at the Middle East for a little bit. But I was like, who is this? They're like, oh, it's this artist Doja Cat. She, she just, she's very active online. 
Bro, the, the, her fans were crazy for her. I remember thinking like, yo, I've never seen anything like this. Then like, here we are. Yeah. There was 80 people at that show. Tops. Shout out to them. Shout out to them for real. That's like the f- most fire thing is when you like go to a show like that. And then now she's probably one of the biggest artists in the world. But that's something you probably have your eyes on, right? Like a very, very dedicated fan base. Yeah. So I have a similar story. Um, I was in Atlanta for A3C. It's like a music conference and they do like these showcases with upcoming artists. And I was at one, probably had like 10, 12 different artists in the lineup. And by like the middle of the lineup, this place is packed. It's like this pretty big basement, packed wall to wall. And go ahead, you can grab it. No problem. Um, where were we? Um, so I was talking about. Uh, I First was. Off, wait, sorry to cut you off. I just want to say one thing. You're a great guy. You're a great guy, man. I appreciate you having me. For you don't real. know that yet. I'm the master snake. Nah, the snake nah. Kid. You're a great guy, dude. You're super humble and like you just be putting people on and connecting the dots and like that shit is truly genuine. Thank you, man. But again, I am the master snake. I have an ulterior motive. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Where um, are we? We all do. Uh, all right, so I was in a <laughs> dead ass, bro. I was in Atlanta for A3C, which is like this music conference. Got um, it. And it's like a lot of upcoming artist showcases. And I'm at one. There's probably like 10, 12 artists in the lineup. And we're probably at the middle of the lineup, right? And the place is packed. Like it's a basement. It's packed wall to wall. I was like, wow, this shit's filled up. And as soon as the artist that was on stage gets off stage, it clears out. And there's like probably five more artists that need to perform. And I'm like, at first, at first it's like, is there a fight? Like, like why did everybody just rush outside? And um, I go outside and they're all taking pictures with this artist. And I've never heard of this artist before. Um, so I go up to him and I was like, yo, uh, are you signed? He's like, nah. I was like, you got a manager? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Like, um, let me get your contact. I want you to come to the studio tomorrow. And this was Ola Runt. Um, he had no music on Spotify, no music out. And he's packing out shows in Atlanta. And he comes to the studio. I have bankroll there. Um, and he is just freestyling in our face over like every beat bankroll plays. Just like, and like his bars are like, what the fuck? Like, how is this dude doing this? And um, he's just an example of he walks in a room and he's a star. Like his presence, like he doesn't even have to really talk. He just has that presence, like magnetism. It's crazy. And um, he doesn't write anything down. And the craziest thing is he told me like he, he was locked up from, I want to say like 17 to 21. He was locked up for like five years. And he said while he was locked up, he was he was rapping, but didn't really take it seriously. And he got in trouble and they put him in the hole in solitary confinement for like a week. And it just hit him all of a sudden, like while he was in solitary confinement, like he just started coming up with crazy like lyrics. And if you listen to Ola's music, bro, it's just like 
the shit he says is just crazy, bro. Like his punchlines is like ridiculous. Like there's no one in Atlanta that has bars like him. And not on some like lyrical miracle shit. Like he has melodies. Like he's comparable to like a like a a thug um flow wise. But yeah. Check out Ola Rump, bro. Free free Ola too. Oh, he's in prison? Yeah. But he'll be he'll be out next year. But anyways, that's that's just my example of like a star, like packing out shows, no music out, people want to take pictures with you. You you show up to a studio session, you annihilate that shit. Charisma. It's just can't be taught. Now, we talked about this last time too. I had heard a young Anise, young Anise. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Yeah, young Anise, yeah. I'd heard of him because of the Vanessa Carlton song. We right. talked about this last time. Yeah. So essentially for every white kid growing up it was like the song in white chicks like yeah terry cruz yeah yeah and then they obviously put like lyrics on it about like mowing down an entire block of people yeah so i remember i seen it in the news that vanessa carlton gave the okay on the sample now people were like freaking out they're like dude like this is ridiculous were you part of that at all um i was um young united's a and r at the time and when the record came out, it just exploded. And looking back, it's probably one of the best disc records of the last decade. But uh, we were trying like crazy to clear that sample. And um, we weren't sure if it was going to happen. And then he was getting a lot of backlash because of the content of the record. And people saying it's violent and ex- explicit, et cetera. And she reposted the record and like supported it. It was like, nah, like, and that was like, okay, cool. Like we're good here, you know? And uh, yeah, it got cleared and that shit is, that shit is iconic. Like the music video is fire. Music video is fire. Creative. Yeah. Young Unage is incredible too, man. He has such a, crazy story if you look into like what he went through in life and um anytime i'm with him it's just like very positive and like very forward thinking about like investments and like that's usually what i end up talking with him about like taxes and uh yeah he's he's a great person now we also touched on this last time so you're in a position where you actually can make moves in the music industry and you can help someone's career build up for everyone who's on the independent hustle in Boston. Why try included what, what do Boston artists need to learn? What are they not understanding? What do they need to do to reach the next level in their career? Um, I'm just going to speak from my perspective when I was trying to make it in that scene. Um, until you come out to LA and you see artists that are sleeping on couches and still recording every single day, it's like, I feel like there's like not enough competition and there's not enough collaboration in Boston where you don't see it like you do in LA or Atlanta of just like, what is really out there and how hard people are going. Cause that shit will push you to go harder. And then also the fact that like the Boston music scene 
um, is so much like alternative because you have Berkeley there. And so, so many of the venues are trying to put on like these um, alternative bands and like indie music, which is great, but it's not a very supportive rap scene. So I feel like you have to be in like Atlanta or LA to really, until there becomes like, like I say that, but then there is like a, a, a rap scene in Detroit and there is a rap scene in Memphis, but those cities also have people that made it that are now like everybody that like, not everybody, but like so many of the artists that are signed to Yo Gotti are also from Memphis. And same with like, in like Detroit, you had like Big Sean putting all these up and coming Detroit rappers like Sada Baby and shit on his songs. So you don't have someone that's really popped off to that level of like a Big Sean in Boston. And then even when people are coming up in Boston, you don't see like, the the biggest artist in Boston just throwing an, an up and coming Boston artist that he fucks with on his records a I, lot. Millie's does that a lot actually. Okay, he does. Millie's puts his dude Nipsey on all his records. Millie's is trying to bring up Boston artists as much as he can. Yeah, but let's just like make it super clear. What do Boston artists need to do more of? Well, the thing about as, almost as if you're speaking directly to Why Try. Um. Well, let me just. Let me just speak about Millie's real quick. I think it's it's hard it's hard to say, but Millie's is killing it on the independent grind. And I'm sure he's like he's he's benefiting a lot from that and he has a lot of creative freedom. But there's also I mean, this is getting insane, bro. This is getting absolutely Bro, just let me just It's all good, bro. The snake pit, brother. It's the snake pit. All right. The Boston music thing. You're talking about Millie's. Go. Yeah, so Millie's is killing it in the independent ground, right? And I'm sure he has a lot of freedom and reaping, you know, financial benefits from that. Um, 
And I don't know if the right move for him, it probably isn't the right move for him to go to a major label, but you can only get so big as an independent artist. Big Sean was signed to good music and uh, what were they under? Maybe Def Jam, right? Sometimes you need that machine to really break you into like that superstar level. Um, and now, now Cousin Stiz, he did sign with a major label. So it just, I, I don't know. Like, like I said, there's so many factors that go into like an artist breaking into that next level of like, it's, it's, it's so fucking hard. And but I, I'm, I don't even want to speak about Millie's because he's already reached a certain level. I'm talking about independent artists who want to make the next step in Boston, who are doing everything independently. What is Why the next try? step, though? Like, what? Well, what does that mean to you, Why Try? Are you on TikTok? Really? He is. Let me ask that question on Mike. Watcher said, what things does he need to be doing as a Boston artist to get his foot in the music industry? Mm -hmm. So all right, I'm going to answer this, the question way better now, now that I have like an understanding of what point the artist is at. Um, right now, every record is breaking from TikTok. So you said you already have stuff on TikTok and like content is so important. Now, here's how you can elevate your TikTok. You have a song that you're like really pushing. And here's what you can do. You can make a sped up version of that song. This is just an example and put it on TikTok. And that sped up version, sometimes just because more sped up. Or you could do like a certain type of... Um, drop on the song where the beat cuts out and there's like a, a vocal that you know is going to go crazy you do like these little adjustments production wise to this record to make it more suitable to take off on tiktok and then you also supplement that with just everyday videos of whatever you're passionate about whether it's like fashion and you're doing fit check videos with your song in the background you're just creating all these different types of content and once that shit takes off on TikTok, every label's reaching out. Once you hit the viral Spotify chart, every label and every manager is blowing you up and they want to work with you. That is where every label is finding talent. So like, I really think there's these little hacks on TikTok and it's all about like creating, shifting your content to be more suitable for the platform and being consistent, like you should be making three TikToks a day, like on top of any other content that you're doing. You need to be making three TikToks a day and using that original sound and just like 
and then all this promo is before the song comes out. And once that shit starts moving, you drop that shit and, you know, it's like TikTok is the most even playing field. Like if it wasn't, every label, every major label would just be like dropping bags and just like songs would be taking off. But most of the songs that you see, like I shouldn't say most, but like a lot of the songs that you see take off on TikTok are independent artists. So that's how you know the playing field is fucking like it's fair game. And I just think that shit is like as corny as people like want to make TikTok seem. It is an unbelievable platform for breaking records right now. There's your sauce, brother. There's your sauce. All right, man. Got to wrap it up. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, bro. I hope I gave some good information for people trying to make it in the industry. I think you did. I think you and I will hopefully be friends for a long time. Hell yeah, man. It's the race to who makes a million first. You're on, brother. Let's go, bro. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is how we start and end the episodes. You know. Hi, my name is Blink, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, hi, my name is Blink, and that was my golden hour. You fucked it up on the first episode. Yeah. But honestly, dude, you're so smart, so calculated, so calm, that I think you got this. I got it, bro. All right, slate towards the camera. Hey, I'm this one right here. Hey, I'm Sean, and this is my golden hour. Hey, I'm Sean, and that was my golden hour. Well executed, brethren. Thank you. Boom. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter.